Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I've just gotten back from a conference at the wonderful St. Vincent's Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, birthplace, by the way, of Arnold Palmer. But uh, St. Vincent's is a wonderful Benedictine community. In fact, the biggest Benedictine community in the world right now. So think of this wonderful ancient tradition of Benedictinism. And right now, the biggest instance of it anywhere on the planet is in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Well, I was there for a conference on evangelization and higher education. And almost all the participants were from the world of campus ministry. May I say... Campus ministry, in many ways, is where it's happening right now in the American church. A lot of very vibrant uh, energy is being unleashed at these campuses. And that's where it's most needed. As you know, a lot of our young people are abandoning the faith precisely during college. So it was a very interesting group to talk to and to hear from. Well, anyway, in the course of one of the Q&A sessions, one of the participants asked a good and very pointed question. She said, what do you think an evangelized student would look like? I like that because it wasn't abstract. You know, we were talking a lot about evangelization and this and that. But, okay, what's the cash value, to use William James's term? What does it look like? Well, a number of the panelists, this was during a, a panel, like roundtable thing, and a number of the panelists chimed in with responses, and all of them I thought were legitimate. So, for example, an evangelized student would be someone who goes to Mass regularly. Quite right. An evangelized student would be an evangelizer herself. I think also quite right. It's one of the signs that you've been truly evangelized. An evangelized person would be someone with wonderful values like inclusion and compassion and forgiveness and nonviolence. And that's also, I think, quite right. But after listening to all this, I, I must say I felt obliged to add something. So I said... I think an evangelized person, first and foremost, would be someone who believes that Jesus rose from the dead. So, yes, from that we can draw an infinite number of implications. Yes, indeed, an evangelized person will go to Mass and be kind and good and will evangelize herself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I suggested the bottom line, the first thing, the center of it all, is belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Because that's the fundamental meaning of euangelion in the Gospels, right? Glad tidings, good, good news. What's the good news? It's the good news of the resurrection. Everything else flows from that. Take away the resurrection, everything else is taken away. You know, relatedly, I'm listening right now to an old uh, novel, I mentioned before how I'm, I'm driving a lot now in my job in, in the Santa Barbara pastoral region. I'm in the car all the time. So I've, I've resumed the habit of listening to audiobooks. Right now I'm listening to the old novel called The Robe by Lloyd C. Douglas. I don't know if folks still remember that novel. It was made into a very popular movie back in the 50s with Richard Burton. 
Anyway, the robe uh, has a lot of virtues, but its its principal virtue, I think, is it's a very cool primer on evangelization. How do you tell the story of Jesus? Because you remember the narrative, those who have seen the movie or read the book, remember the narrative well. It's about Marcellus, who is a Roman centurion, who presided at the crucifixion of Jesus and who afterward received the robe. Remember, the soldiers had gambled for the robe, and Marcellus is the one who gets it. And he finds himself haunted by this Galilean carpenter whom he put to death. The robe has a sort of um, haunting power over him. So to make a long story short, he returns to Palestine and then to Galilee specifically to understand this figure better. And in the course of his journeying, he meets many people who knew Jesus. And here's where the evangelization kicks in. People begin telling him the story of Jesus. He hears stories about uh, the Lord's teaching, about his massively impressive personality, about his wonder-working and miracles. But things in the book really come to a head when Marcellus hears the followers of the Lord speaking of the resurrection. Now, mind you, this is the man who presided at the crucifixion. He was there. He saw Jesus die. He knew what it meant to die. And so when he hears this news that he's risen from the dead, this realist and rationalist and canny Roman just finds it a bit too much. Well, to cut to the chase of the story, and I'll let you read it if you have the time, Marcellus does become truly evangelized. Now, prior to this, mind you, he admired Jesus. He admired him from the time of the crucifixion. He he watched this, this heroic, courageous man die. He admired him even more when he heard the stories of his teaching. He thought he was a wonderful philosopher. But Marcellus becomes evangelized only when he comes to believe in the resurrection. You know, one thing, too, I like about the robe is the resurrection message, everybody, was just as confounding and counterintuitive in the ancient world as it is in ours. Please don't engage in this sort of um, cultural condescension where we say, oh, these poor, simple, ancient people, pre-scientific folks who didn't know any better, and they believed all kinds of nonsense about people coming back from the dead. That is pure condescension. Read the reactions of people in Jesus' own time. You know, this is the world full of of, uh, philosophers and hard-headed people. They found the resurrection message just as hard to believe as we do. Read, if if you're really uh, interested, Acts 17. So Paul on the Areopagus, when he speaks the message of resurrection, they all walk away and laugh at him. So this message was and is confounding and counterintuitive. And so a strategy followed, sadly, I'd say, by certain Christians up and down the centuries, but especially in our own time, is to domesticate Jesus, turning him into a a great and mystic personality, a moving spiritual hero, a masterful teacher, all the things that Marcellus, the centurion, found compelling. But see, accepting these things is fine, but it's not to be evangelized. You're evangelized when you hear the message of the resurrection and you believe it. Now, why am I harping on this point with you? Well, because of our gospel for today. 
which is about Jesus' raising of the son of the widow of Naim. This, I think, is a prime exemplification of a key gospel truth, namely that everything Jesus said and did, in one way or another, is an anticipation of his resurrection. Let me just say that again. I think it's an interpretive key to the gospel. Everything Jesus said and did, in one way or another, is an anticipation of his resurrection. The God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ, is a God of life. He's a God of the living. Listen now, he hates death, and he hates the ways of death. The God of Israel hates sin. Why? Because it brings about spiritual death. He hates physical illness, which brings about bodily death. He hates corruption that brings about societal death. And so he battles all of these things all the way. So Jesus heals blind eyes and deaf ears and crippled limbs. Jesus illuminates darkened minds. He liberates imprisoned souls. His ministry is a ministry of life, of the triumph of life over death in all of these different forms. Now, in three very specific cases, the raising of the daughter of Jairus, remember that wonderful story when Jesus takes the little girl by the hand and says, Talita kumi, little girl, get up. The raising of Lazarus, maybe the most dramatic story in the Gospel of John. And then our story for today, the raising of the son of the widow of Naim. In these three specific cases, he shows most dramatically what he's about. Now, again, I know how strange and impossible all this seemed, and it seemed just that way to people of Jesus' own time. But sickness, sin, stupidity, fear, and death are just not what God intended for us. They're not the absolute givens that we simply must accept. They're not just the way things are. God, in fact, hates them and wages war against them. There's a way to read the whole of Jesus' life and ministry. Now, just a few details from this particular story. Mind you, this is not simply the human tragedy of losing a loved one. As awful as that is, and you know, any one of us, I practically everyone listening to me, has had that awful experience of losing someone that we love. A mother, a father, a son or daughter, a cousin, a friend. I mean, it's awful. But see, as awful as that is, the story is about more than that. Because in the context of Jesus' time and place, this was a disaster for the poor widow. Not just a great sadness. It was a disaster. Because keep in mind, there was no social safety net, no insurance, no guaranteed income. Unless she could find kindly neighbors who would support her, 
she was in some serious trouble, a widow, so without a husband. And now, importantly, it specifies without an only son. See, she now has no means of support. That's the point here. And this is why the heart of Jesus we hear is moved with pity. It's wonderful, isn't it? The heart of Jesus means the heart of God. Notice now what he says in in the face of this tragic situation. Notice. Young man, I tell you, arise. The Greek there means get up. Sit up. See how like this is to the anastasis declared by the early evangelists. That's the word for resurrection, but it means standing up again. Stasis, anastasis, stand up again. Jesus here is is anticipating, in a sort of symbolic, iconic way, his own standing up again after death. It's a participation in the fullness of resurrection. Now, notice too, please, the reaction of the bystanders in this story is fear. I love that. See, it's not just joy. Hey, look at this. Wow. Amazing. They're afraid. Now, why? Why? You're not afraid when you hear some new inspiring teaching. You're not afraid when there's a a fascinating new figure on the scene. You're afraid when your whole world turns upside down. That's why the reaction of the women at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning in Mark's gospel is fear. Fear. See, there's the drama of the resurrection. Evangelization, which declares it, everybody, is a little scary, or it's inadequate evangelization. It's finally all about anastasis, resurrection. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.